Hello, everybody. We want to welcome you to uh, episode four of the Ridecast Ricecast podcast. See, I'm already slipping up. <laughs> um, we've covered a variety of different topics uh, yes, so far. And uh, I, I know that uh, I gave everyone the rundown in the last episode. Well, uh, we've already called Omaha and are going to call an audible on this one. Because uh, life happens. Because life happens. <laughs> um, we are starting this one out uh, a little later than uh, we would like to. And um, well, there is a method to our madness because... The next one was supposed to be about millennials, but we're hoping to actually have a guest millennial on our show, and he wasn't able to make it for this one. So, Yes, we did find a millennial that is actually willing to uh, be recorded and not on Snapchat. Right. And I can't go past that because I have to admit I don't Snapchat. We're taking them back to analog in a way. Yeah, so it's we not are. Like this is contrived in any way. It's pretty. Well, it's not really. I mean, if you take a look at our microphones, they're all digital. No, it's digital, but I mean, like, we don't really edit much, like you would with dig- with digital. Like we pretty much put out there what exactly we say. So in that case, it's analog. No, it's because I'm lazy. <laughs> so, we're not we're not quite the periscope like group. Like they're really raw. Yes. I give them credit because what you see is what you get. This is at least a little bit I like the option polished. Yeah. I like <laughs> the option that I can polish something um especially if I just once I start stumbling I just reel till it's all the way down to the ground. That's so. the Dobson way. It is. <laughs> and we take pride in that. <laughs> it's uh, it's amazing, honestly, that I was able to be coordinated enough to play soccer. Which kind of leads into uh, when we said life happens. Um, we were planning on having a podcast over the weekend. Ended up staying at church way too late. Uh, talking to people on uh, Saturday and uh, Sunday would have been our next opportunity, but we were busy uh, heading down to Atlanta for the inaugural match of Atlanta United FC. Woo-hoo! Now we are soccer fans here on the show. Um, as I mentioned, I played soccer in high school and uh, well, Connie liked to watch soccer, so I did. I watched uh, Milwaukee Wave, Milwaukee Wave United, the Rampage. Shout out to the Wisconsin teams there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was very exciting to us to hear that MLS was coming to Milwaukee or Milwaukee, <laughs> <laughs> coming to Atlanta. This is that whole stumbling part. It, it is about. old habits die hard. <laughs> but. Uh, you know, we we were part of the fifty five thousand strong there at Bobby Dodd Stadium, which we found out was the fourth largest crowd ever for a soccer match, and that's worldwide. Which is amazing to me. Like when you factor in World Cup and how big soccer is. I mean, Concacaf within Central America, and 
It's amazing that that was the fourth largest attended. Oh, I know. It was, you know, they announced days before the match that it was sold out. That they'd sold over 55,000 tickets. And uh, I was reading on uh, online that the other MLS teams were basically saying, yeah, be quiet, you should probably check your numbers because the best home opener for a new team that uh, MLS has done has hasn't even hit 25,000, I don't believe. Right. So they more than doubled that. And, and let me tell you, other than going to Lambeau Field to see a Green Bay Packer game, that was probably the largest crowd I've sat in, and it was an absolute frenzy. It was awesome. Everyone was on their seats for the entire, or out of their seats, standing up for the entire game. And the pitch looked great. Like they, Bobby Dodd did a great job. There were some hiccups with concessions and getting in. But um, a big shout out to, to Bobby Dodd Stadium and Georgia Tech for allowing. Atlanta United to even play there because had they not given that opportunity, Atlanta United would have been on the road for the first half of their season. So this kind of gave them a home field advantage until Mercedes-Benz Stadium opens up. Yep. So needless to say, we are on the edge of our seats waiting for um, Mercedes-Benz to uh, have their tickets go on sale. So Yes. And then we'll have our first real home game. Okay, so for the uh, other two soccer fans in the room, uh, we can revel with you. And for the rest of you, I think we'll get on with uh, the topic of our podcast. Um, you know, we have talked about this topic quite a few times in Amongst Connie and myself, um, basically serving the church. Um you know, as as we have matured in our service in the church, we've noticed something, a somewhat alarming trend. Um, the more you do, the more you're expected to do. Dun, dun, dun. Um, this is just a general observation um, of places that we've served over the years, and as well, feedback that we've heard from uh, friends, uh, both pastoral and lay members, um, in other churches, in other religions, it, it just seems that when you say that magic word, yes, uh, there is a proverbial paradigm shift in your expected service to the church. Pretty soon you are placed in the uncomfortable position of possibly having to say no when asked to serve. But that's not where I have a problem. We should be leveraging the talents and willingness of members to serve. Where I have a problem is when church duties are put on the same priority level as God, not by self, but by the pressure of the church. But why is this? Why am I frowned upon for saying no? Instead of supporting my decision, we just receive a sad, dejected-looking face, and then comes the right hook, the guilt trip. We've all been there, haven't we? Yes. And is we it... may have even given other people the guilt trip. Mercy. We're on both sides of that. Mercy. But I have to ask, is it my priorities that are mixed up? Am I being a disobedient Christian by claiming that my kids 
my job and my life has got me strapped for time, leaving me with no additional bandwidth to take on new projects? Or is it that we have a perverted sense that keeping busy in church is appropriately serving God? Now, many years ago, I played, uh, well, we've we've heard before soccer, but I also played varsity basketball for uh, a shout out to the Union Grove Christian Cougars uh, there in southeastern Wisconsin. Uh, This was a small Baptist school uh, there in Wisconsin. I vividly remember Coach Lee Morey uh, pulling us all aside at the beginning of the season to go over our plays, uh, introduce the coaching staff, and establishing establishing uh, ground rules for the season. Coach Moria would draw neatly on the board, God, then underneath that, family, and then friends up on the board. These were to become our priorities, in amongst you know schoolwork and other things like that, because. Uh, if you had failing grades, you weren't going to be playing basketball. But these were our priorities. And then he would stomp his foot on the ground and state that this is where girlfriends belonged. A funny yet serious segue into the season. And let me tell you, there were a few times where it seemed that relationships had gotten in the way, caused some distractions. So, you know, there was some truth to what Coach Mori had to say there. But... After some thought about this, I think we need to consider these as our priority levels in life. God, self, family, and church in that order. Notice how church is last? Our change in or our charge in life is not to serve the church, but it is to serve God. So, obviously, the first priority is to recognize God as our primary priority in life. Because without God, we are nothing, literally. Secondly, we need to recognize ourselves as the second priority, above family and church. I know it sounds pretty selfish, but let me explain. We need to make sure our spiritual, physical, and mental health is in pristine condition, because if it is not, your upstream relationship with God will suffer, and likewise your downstream relationship with friends, family, church, and work will suffer as you do not, or as you will not be able to perform to your maximum potential. See, the Bible tells us that even Jesus took time to seclude himself away from everyone, away from the drama, the needy, the rejected, the church. He took this time to recharge his batteries, to refill his cup, and I suspect to regain his sanity. Because in the position where you are constantly hounded and needed, if you're ever in that position, it can be very draining, both physically and mentally. It takes a toll on your body and you need to come or and you need to go into seclusion to take a break. This is a biblical approach to stress management and may save you from throwing your hands in the air and walking out altogether. So again, If you yourself are not in a healthy state, your relationships with the groups will suffer. Doesn't sound so selfish now, does it? Third priority, family. I will even throw friends into this category, as friends becomes your family too. When you are suffering or in a season of strife, who do you lean on? Your family. They are there as your support group to keep you on the straight and narrow. 
Your family should be the ones supporting your decisions relating to your faith. Your friends, if you surround yourself with the right group, should be encouraging you along the way when your personal health is wavering. When your church is not so nice, it is your family that will be there to listen to you and your viewpoints. It is your spouse that will embrace you when you need a hug. It is your children that will smile when you come home after a stressful day. It is your family that will accept you for who you are and not expect anything in return. Now the last priority, the church. The church to me is on the same level as, dare I say, work. That's what it is. Serving the church is work. Ask any pastor or ministry leader how restful their weekends are. Most will laugh and then look to see how serious you are and where you're going with the question. Service to the church is hard, exhausting work. We have a tendency to hide inward serving tasks under the mask of the term ministry. Now, I'm not saying that all inward serving ministries are bad. Some are very critical to the social makeup of the church. It is hard to believe if you don't feel that you belong. What I'm saying here is that the church doesn't realize the burden it creates uh, for an individual when they offer them a position. Free time is a commodity nowadays. It is necessary to yourself to allow you to clear your head, relax, and recharge. Asking them to serve now is going to infringe on that free time, which is okay, but when expected in moderation. Church members expect pastors and ministry leaders to be present every weekend at church, at all church functions, board meetings, midweek Bible studies, outreach events, and potlucks. They expect them to be available 24-7 via phone and get angry when calls go to voicemail. They bombard them with stupid questions, he-said-she-said scenarios of who they have a beef with at church. They smother them before they go on vacation, while on vacation and right when they return, only to leave them more stressed and worked up before they left. I can't tell you how many times Connie and I have received phone calls when we were on vacation, to the point where we now turn our phones off and go into a form of seclusion. Serving at church with no support from others is a distraction from what church should be, refilling your spiritual cup. Instead, individuals are left supporting the worship service rather than mentally participating in the service. We are left thinking about what next project that needs to uh, go before board or a church business session rather than diving into the scripture that may ease our minds. We are stranded out in the hallway receiving criticism from a member of how the last evangelistic campaign went, but not taking into consideration our busy personal life other church projects, which always come with a high priority, and the lack of hands to do the work. We stifle creativity when a young person brings their talents to the church because the music they used or the dress they wore or the suggestion they made doesn't quite fit into our SDA box. But why is the church like this? Why do we wear down those who say yes and then get upset when they finally break down and say no? We should be seeking to develop others in the church to support their vision, not expect them to solve global warming, plus take on social justice and the church board. See, if we expect serving the church to be in the same realm as 
our God priority, we would be left no time to recharge ourselves, and definitely no time uh, or energy left for our family. The truth is, we are all busy and there was much work to be done. But instead of pointing the finger at the mother with the kids, or the ministry leader of three departments, or at the pastor, perhaps we could all benefit by asking, how can I serve? How can I help? How can we spread the demands of the church out before we burn out those who are serving? Sometimes it means we just might have to scrap a ministry because, let's face it, we sometimes throw a name into the hat just because we're trying to fill a position, not necessarily trying to fill a need. It's better to have success and to do a great job in a few ministries than it is to water down our ministry with a lot of resource-strapped quasi-ministries. So again, if we aren't going to make our members' health our priority, then why should they make our church theirs? So next time you ask someone to serve and they say, you know, I just don't have the time right now, rather than giving them the guilt trip, encourage them as they just might have more on their plate right now than you. So it is up to you. But as for me and my house, we will serve the we will serve God, self, family, then church in that order. Now, I, I am going to say that, you know, we do serve in the church, and, and this by no means is begrudging what we do. We, you know, Connie and I both enjoy serving the church. We both have different sets of talents that, you know, we have, you know, both volunteered for and, and have been asked to provide to the church. And we enjoy that because it is something that, uh, uh, you know, God calls us to do. And, you know, sometimes, yes, it is, it is true because we say yes so many times when we finally say no, you know, you'd swore we just, you know, said a curse word in church. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think about this guy? It's very true. I mean, unfortunately, it's just kind of the state of the world that we live in. We live in a world that people want instantaneous gratification. They want everything right now. They're impatient. And so when it comes to ministry, you know, for me, it's something that I need to pray about when someone comes to me and and asks me, you know, if I mean, small little duties is one thing, but when they come come to me and ask me to really take on ownership of something, I always tell them I I need to pray about this first because they may be asking me, but maybe God already has someone set aside to do that job. And so I need to listen to his what his call is for me because he'll tell me no and then I can go ahead and say I'm sorry unfortunately I prayed about this but I have to turn this down and then you know just pray that the Lord puts the right person gives that person an opportunity Um, that's one reason that you know when you pray about it even if the person looks at you maybe with kind of discouragement or they're upset you can at least have peace about it you know if you prayed about it and the lord gave you a definitive answer and and you were obedient in that answer you just allow him 
to take it from there. You know, our rejection is ultimately his rejection. And so it goes both ways. When when we aren't given the opportunity that we thought we were going to get or wanted to get, and it doesn't, that door doesn't open for us, our rejection is his rejection, but it also goes the same way that when someone seems dejected because you didn't take on a ministry or a certain project because you felt the Lord leading you in a different direction or just not in that specific avenue, you can have peace about it. That, you know, that's, that's a pretty good way of, of thinking about it. Now, as far as... It should never be an obligation. Do you know what I mean? It should never be an obligation, not even to God. God doesn't want us to live out of obligation. He wants us to willfully come forward because there's a conviction in our heart to do it. And so it goes back to what you said, when God comes first and we devote our lives to him, we hear him more clearly. If we aren't devoting our lives to him, we can think we're hearing him when actually we're not. We're hearing ourselves or we're hearing the enemy. But when we devote our lives to him, we're in daily communion with him, we're reading our Bibles, we're doing our devotionals, we eat, sleep, breathe Jesus it's a lot easier, doesn't make it easier. It doesn't make it easy, but it makes it easier to be obedient as to what his will is for our life. Do you think there is, because I heard you use the word obligation, is there a sense of obligation because there is a youth, young adult, whatever we want to call them, at the church that they need to serve? Yes. Why do you I, think why do you think that is? Um I I don't know if it's necessarily I, I don't know what that is, but I can think of like we had talked about before, a specific person that um when she came back to church. You ever notice this was something that I noticed last weekend when a certain young adult had come to had come to church and he hadn't been there in a while. And it was like, as soon as people saw him, you know, this person has very specific talents. And as soon as they saw this person, they were like on him. It was just like ants at a picnic. And as soon as they saw him, they were like on him. And I just pray that when they saw him and they kind of flocked to him, that their first thing wasn't, can you do this for me? That it was, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. How are you? How is How are things going? How's life? But I'm going to stop there. But I just pray that that's what happened. But going back to this other individual, she came back to the church after being at another church and it was the same thing. She was asked to do all these different things and she's a mother of a young child and finally she said, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't do this. She took it on for a little while and then gave it back. And this individual, I've had discussions with her and I was like, um, we'll call her Sally. I was like, Sally, you're, you're a mom. And that is the ministry that God, that's your number one ministry to the Lord right now is, is this child that he has blessed you with, that he has, um, 
he's trusted you with. He's trusted you with the life of this child. That's your number one ministry. And once, once you feel like you've got that in a good place when your child's maybe a little bit older, maybe you can bring your child with you to certain ministries, have them with you as you're involved. Um, the Lord will open doors in the future for you to work in other ministries. But as a mom, that's your number one ministry. If you lose your child, what what you could have brought 100 people to Jesus, but what's heaven going to be without your child being there? Now, you, you use the example of an individual that came into church last Sabbath, and I know exactly who you're talking about, <laughs> but... In that instance, and I've I've even felt this, you know, personally. It almost seems that sometimes church members see you for your talents, and not for the person that you are. I pray that it's not that. I never want to judge someone on what their intentions are. Um, when we go back to intentions versus intentional, I pray that their intentions are good, that they see you and they want you to be involved. They want you to keep coming back. They, I think there's kind of this disconnect where they think, okay, if you are in the church and you're involved in a ministry and you're actively involved, it will keep bringing you to church on Sabbath and you'll be good. But what we need to do is we need to focus on that person's spiritual health. Once we focus on that person's spiritual health, we find out it goes back to having that conversation, that friendship evangelism, talking with them, asking them, you know, how is life going? How are you doing? Getting back to the basics and actually listening to what they have to say, um, getting back to that. Once, if there's any way that you can encourage them or inspire them in their walk with Jesus, the rest will come. It will come. When you devote your life to the Lord, it's, it's what we call it, you know, we talked about this, it's a conviction addiction. When you are convicted in your heart of the things that the Lord has done for you, you're moved with this conviction that you want to do the same for others. And so he brings to light what your talents are and how he can use you with the gifts that he has given us. And so what I want to propose to the church is focus on the person, not their talents, because maybe they have a certain talent, but maybe God's not going to use that certain talent in the way that you think. Maybe he's going to use another talent that's kind of been... Um, passive, that's kind of been buried underneath whatever's been going on in life. Maybe this person doesn't even know what talent exists underneath all the stress of life and everything that's been going on. Maybe there's something that hasn't been revealed yet. So we never want to look at a person as what can they offer me? What does this person have to offer with their talents? We want to look at them and say, what can we offer them that they want to then offer to others? Not because it's an obligation, but because that it's something that is birthed inside of them. 
something that comes to life of a little flame, a little spark that turns into a flame that turns into this roaring bonfire for the Lord. That's where it starts. That's quite a deep proposal. <laughs> but <laughs> but, it, but it's, it's true. That's, that's Jesus. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like Jesus went to each disciple and he could tell each disciple what their gift was, what their talent was. He knew that he was going to build his church upon Peter. When we look at Peter, we're like, really? Peter? The one who's going to deny Christ three times? But Jesus saw something inside of him. Well, you know, you know, I, I would like to use this example. I could be really good at sweeping the floor, and perhaps I have a talent at that, but is that where I am most effective? That's where we really need to ask the question about, you know, when we're asking people to do ministry stuff, is yes, they may be good at it, but, you know, they may not like it. Right. You know, that may not be something that keeps them interested and focused on the end goal, which is obviously evangelism and, and you know, the eye on the prize. But, you know, asking them what are their interests first before asking them to take on a project. Right. And not just pastimes, but what are you pass or what are you passionate about? What is your passion? What really just gets you on fire for the Lord. And that's why it's so important, like when we go into um, deciding who the Lord wants, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that again, who the Lord wants to take over certain ministries inside of the church. Um, you know, for instance, with personal ministries, and, I, you know, I still to this day, like I pray that that is where the Lord wanted me, um, that it wasn't just something that I wanted. And I want to be obedient in what his will is for my life. And I want the church to be obedient into what his will is for the church and the direction of the church. But I wasn't the church's first choice for personal ministries. Um, and so when I look at that, I just pray that that was, that was the Lord opening the door for that. Um, and it's the same thing with, you know, that's another thing that when we talk about ministries is, is I don't look at it as, as this is my position. It's just this is an opportunity that the Lord gave me for a, for a season. I don't know how long that season's going to be, but in the back of my mind as I'm, as I'm working in evangelism and personal ministries, I'm trying to think of the future. I'm trying to think of who's going to come in next. Who is the Lord going to bring along next? I don't want to think that, you know, like like a congressman, I'm going to be here for the next four terms. I pray that at the next time that they're they're coming up to um, decide who's going to be personal ministries leader, that they think of someone else. You know, like I pray that the Lord ultimately makes that decision and makes it clear. But I want whoever the Lord wants to take that role, whoever he has given the talents to. And I pray that whatever that decision is, that I accept it, you know, and, and I um, have peace with it. But during 
the time that I am personal ministries leader, I want to look forward to that day that I'm passing on, as we were talking about evangelism council, passing on the torch, that I'm not just leaving the next person stranded with, okay, what do I do? You know, that it's kind of like this, you know, it's passing that torch as to prepare. Like, you know, there are certain things right now that we are planning for, um, for evangelism, personal ministries that I may never see come to fruition or that may come to fruition at the end of this two-year opportunity that the Lord has given me. Um, but I, it, I still want to work hard towards that because I want the next person to be successful. Because if the next person is successful, that means the Lord is successful. Do you know what I mean? Um, and that's, it's, also, it's ultimately what it comes back to. Is, is it really about us? Is it really about us? It's about Jesus. And so if we keep coming back to that, I think there would be a lot less hard feelings. I think there would be a lot less stress. There'd be a lot less obligation. And there would just be surrender. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and and that goes back to what I was saying in my my opening uh, monologue here is we should be leveraging the talents of individuals. And by doing that, we need to be constantly developing the next generation. Now, the next generation does not necessarily mean a younger generation. That just means the next person that's interested in coming in. Because let's face it, if you have one personal ministries person that's very good at it and nobody else to backfill that position, you're going to struggle. You're going to constantly struggle to find someone to fill those shoes to, you know, be on the same wavelength. But if you could have, you know, two years, this person, then you put in someone new, groom them up. Mm -hmm. Then the, the person that was the previous leader can act as a mentor and in essence help the team because if you have a rotating group of you know you know three or four people that have done the leader position i think that makes the team all the better and you know let's you know let's throw this term out there if you have a church plant right it allows you to split off and actually be successful at a church plant. That's exactly the, what I was going to bring up is that when we look in the Bible and we look at the early church and um, Barnabas and Paul and we look at that early church and they didn't stay at the same spot when they were when you when the Lord found someone trusted someone that was really really good at what they did it was discipleship. Okay, so they trained people and then they went to the next place and they trained those people. And it was a continual, so when, when Paul and Barnabas trained those people, then when those people got it, they became really good at it. Then they trained others, and they trained others, and it's just a domino effect. That's how it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be the same people doing everything. It's the Lord appoints certain people that he's going he's gonna, to you know, give these certain talents to. They're going to go around 
and go to different places and train and do discipleship. But, you know, like, for instance, if you've got someone within your church that's really, really good at at what they're doing, let's say they're really good at evangelism or they're really good at health ministries, for me, the whole point is to train people within that church that they become self-sustaining. It should never be where you rely on one individual because that person becomes an idol. You should be relying on the Lord. And so you train, you do discipleship, and you train people to do that because it's the same thing with pastors. Why do you think pastors move around every, you know, what is the average five to seven years, sometimes even shorter? It, it keeps them from becoming ineffective. Because when people are in a certain place for a certain amount of time, they become ineffective. And so when you allow someone to do that discipleship and that training, then they can mentor, they can kind of, you know, help to continue to develop people. Then they move on to somewhere else, to another place that maybe doesn't have that strength. And then you train there. And then you move on to another place that doesn't have that strength. Sometimes I think we hold on to people too too much because we're relying on them instead of the Lord. And we should never put ourselves in that situation. We should only rely truly on one, and that is God. And so when we look at to a certain person saying, well, that's the end all be all of evangelism, that's the end all be all of, of prison ministries or health ministries, that person becomes an idol to our church. We never want to put ourselves in that situation. Um, we want to trust that the Lord puts this person in, in this spot, in this position to train. We encourage them to train. We help them to facilitate the training that is supposed to occur. And then you pass the torch. You know, and I, I always like this this analogy um, because we're in Gainesville, which is the poultry capital of the United States, um, of the world, I think, is on the side of the silo. Self-proclaimed. Self-proclaimed. We are the self-proclaimed poultry capital of the world. <laughs> and uh, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Shane, used to always tell me, he goes, you know, what are we going to do if you get hit by a chicken truck? And, you know, it's it's a funny way of saying it, but it's true. What are we going to do if the pastor gets hit by a chicken truck? What are we going to do if the personal ministries leader gets hit by the chicken truck? Or uh, name anybody else. And um, You're starting to scare me a little bit, Josh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pastor J. Lee, be scared. No, <laughs> uh, but, you know, we have to really think about that is, is you know, we always talk about contingency plans do we really have that thought out of if if for some reason okay let's say it's not a chicken truck um somebody moves mm -hmm. goes to a different church you know right now we rely so heavily on that one person that if they left that's a big gap to be filled there right rather than what are we doing to develop assistance and and stuff you know other people like that to now bring into that position mm -hmm. now there there are times where your ministry is developing 
and that doesn't necessarily allow for training. Um, you know, you're you're bringing in new things, and and you really have to be the one with 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 the heartbeat on the project. But there's a point then where, and I'm going to start going into business talk here, but where you're growing and then you sustain. During that period of sustainment is when you start pulling people in. Hey, can I train you how to do, and this is the new one at our church, video mixing. Mm-hmm. You know, our AV team has, has, has put together a, a tremendous tool of what we can do to have professionally produced videos. And so now we're at the point where, okay, can we bring in, especially the, the younger generation, they're the ones that, you know, seem the most interested in it. You know, look, can you pay attention during the service? Okay, now can you mix and pay attention at the same time? And, you know, it, it takes a lot of, of falling down and getting up, but that's growing. That's the whole process of growing is you, you cannot be afraid to fail in order to succeed. But it's also, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because we're afraid of failing. It's, it's difficult to fail, but that's, that's part of the learning process. But on the other side, when someone fails, and I'm, talk, I'm speaking to myself right now, when someone fails, that's where grace comes in because we all fall short. And so when someone fails in their ministry, we still need to be encouraging and we still need to be loving because you don't think that that person's not discouraged already. They're not already beating themselves up. When I fail in evangelism, I beat myself up. There's no one who's harder on me than myself. And so we need to be very careful as our criticisms, you know what I mean? Like there is time for constructive criticism, but there's a time for it. You know, maybe not necessarily right after, you know, the the sky falls on a person, but when a, someone prompts you to say, what do you think I could have done a little bit differently? You know, there's a time and a place, but we need to, we need to be loving to others. And, and like I said, like I, I, I'm, I'm preaching to myself right now because, you know, pride gets in the way and we think we can do it so much better. But the Lord has trusted this individual with this ministry or with this project. And so when it doesn't go as planned, we just have to trust that the Lord is teaching this individual patience and this and, and teaching them to persevere through the trials and he's he needs to teach you know we need to learn patience as well that it's a learning process for us all you know and and you you were kind of heading into um this kind of tripped a light bulb off we're going to go into a pro forma uh version of what grinds your gears (laughs) (laughs) um you know when you were talking about criticism I find, and I don't know if, if you agree with this, but I find the most criticism I get are from the members that don't really serve. Well, they, we they, don't they, know. They, they, sit, they come to church and sit on the pew, they in the pew. To. They, they seem to. They seem to. They sit in the pew, and rather than coming up and saying, 
look, you're doing a great job here. They come with this one-two punch of, you know, how you've just desecrated the sanctuary. And, you know, I, I don't know if it comes off that way, but, you know, I've, I've gotten thick skin over the years, but I haven't always been that way. You know, especially when I was, you know, in high school serving the church. And, and let me tell you, it, it really does affect and, and I don't blame a lot of, of these young kids for leaving the church because we have a way of making their talents seem meaningless because we don't allow them to fall. We don't allow them to get back up. Instead, we say, you know what? You tried, uh, you desecrated, and uh, we're going to now um, send somebody else in to do it for you. And, and it's sad. It, re it really is. So, yes. you know, I would encourage people, you know, when when anybody, young, old, doesn't matter, is is trying something in ministry, we need to be encouraging of that. You know, if you don't necessarily agree with what they're doing, how would you help them? Right. Rather than sit there and point the finger and and and, and desecrate what they're trying to do. I just used the term desecrate three times in I, the last minute. <laughs> I will say this is in the years of doing ministry and just ministering to others and kind of, you know me, I'm, I'm an empath. I, I tend to gravitate towards um, people who need help. It's just, it's a burden that the Lord has put in my heart. Um, hurt people hurt people. That's what it comes down to. And so I have found that some of my biggest critics have been people that have been so damaged and so hurt by people that they felt loved them and then they don't feel loved anymore. Um, a lot of the my biggest critics don't have a true understanding of God. They see God, they don't see God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament as exemplified in Jesus as the same God. They seem to live in this state of shame. They live in this state of just pain. And so they are responding out of that pain because that's all they know. I'm not trying to enable I'm not trying to make excuses for them, but it's something that I have to tell myself that when certain people come and they don't really have much nice to say, to just remember to, and you know, I take things very personally. I don't take things with a grain of salt. I just have to step back and just say, Lord, once again, you receive this rejection. You know, take this rejection from me and help me to be loving to them and to encourage them and maybe help you, Lord, teach them what love is. Because it's very easy to love those who are patting us on the back, telling us what a great job we're doing, but we struggle with loving people who really aren't very loving to us. 
And especially if we're going to go forward doing the Lord's work, we need to love those that seem like they're, it's incapable to love them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and the biggest target of the church is, you know, and this is, this is a general, but is usually the pastor, you know, that seems to get the most strife, especially the group that does not think the pastor is leading the church the way I wouldn't say how it should be, but how they want it to be. Right. And, uh, you know, I don't always agree with my pastor, but you know what? He's still a friend. He's still the leader of the church. He's a human being. He's a human being, and he was <laughs> with put feelings. There. He was put there, and uh, you know, you I come around full circle, especially when you start to disagree with someone. Is you know what? He's doing a job that I'm not willing to do myself. Right. You know, personal ministries. You, Connie, are doing a job that I wouldn't be willing to take on myself. You know, I'm willing to to do supporting roles in some of those things. And you're a really awesome secretary, by the way. That's another one of those things. We're going to go back to what we talked about before. <laughs> things that you're good at, but you don't necessarily <laughs> want to do. <laughs> I'm... Uh, Let's see here. Secretary of three different things. <laughs> <laughs> but you're very good at it. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, and, and that's another thing is is I'm hoping now to be able to develop a process for it and then hand it off because we need more people that can, can do those kind of things. But, um, okay, back off the tangent. I'm sorry. I, I don't even remember where I was going. I interrupted you. You did. You, you totally broke my train Sorry. of thought there. Um, you were talking about pastor. You don't always agree with yes. him. So, you know, we need to be in a position where we, na- we may not agree, but we should always support. Absolutely. Um, you know, if you're on a board, you may not always agree, but you have to support the decision made because, you know, You have votes, mm-hmm. and that's the way that we've decided how things need to be done and approved at the church. Majority you have to, You have to support the process because without that process, you'd have a dictatorship. Right. So I guess the crux of what I'm trying to say is we just need to be more supportive of people that are that are doing things in ministries rather than being critics, you know, critical critical about them. Well, going back to what you said, you know, how you use pastor as an example of you don't always see eye to eye on certain things. That's all of us. Like Josh, you and I we're husband and wife. We don't see eye to eye on everything. That's just human nature. That's because I'm taller than you. (laughs) You you have a better line of sight than I do. (laughs) But that's just, that's how God made us. You know what I mean? Like we're not all going to see, and that's what we need to come back to is we, we all come from different backgrounds. We all come from different environments. We all come from different life experiences, but we should embrace that instead of 
discouraging our differences. Absolutely. And we should embrace them. Um, and so I, I pray that the Lord continues to help me to see the beauty in the differences and the, um, in the way that we see things. Because what we were talking about evangelism council last night, that's, I made it very clear that that's why we have a council is because I want other people to bring their ideas and I want other, this is not the church of Connie Dobson. This is the Gainesville Seventh-day Adventist church. I want the congregation to come together with ideas for outreach and, and ideas on how to run this ministry. Um, because there may be some things that I'm, I'm not seeing correctly, but someone else can come in and say, well, let me tell you how I see it. You know, this is how I see it. Or they come up with different ideas. And a lot of times they're better than mine and praise the Lord for that. And if we could all just, just once again, I come back to that word, just surrender to that. That's the beauty of it all. You know, someone may have a different experience than you. And that gives them wisdom. That's wisdom that God has given them for that for that very moment even. And so, you know, what you were talking about with pastor and um, any pastor, you know, my question is, who ministers to those that are ministering? Who's ministering to those people? Um, who's trying to inspire or encourage those who are put on this pedestal to encourage and inspire, you know, and to anyone who is listening to this podcast, when is the last time you asked how your pastor or your ministry team is doing spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, actually sat down, looked them in the eye in a quiet moment, not in, I'm not talking about, Sabbath morning, you walk through the door, hey, how you doing? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about entering their office in a quiet moment, calling them on the phone, not... Not on their day off. Not during dinner time. I'm talking about having an intimate moment with them and asking them, how are you doing? Is there anything I can help you with? Are you doing okay? Can I pray for you? What do you need prayer about? You know, like, how's your family doing? When's the last time we asked our pastor that? That's that's a very good question. You know, because, I... Because let me break it to you as... This is general. This is not just our church, but any church. You guys stress out your pastor... We, I'll throw we, myself in there, we, we, we stress out the pastor. That's the nature of, of, of the job. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to have the complainers. You're going to have the people that are um, the do first and ask for forgiveness later. Mercy. <laughs> you know, being a pastor is a stressful job. And I can say that, and I have never been a pastor. I have many friends that are pastors. And, you know, some of the things that they go through, uh, mercy. 
I would have quit my job long ago. But you know what? They felt that charge, that calling from God. Yes. And, you know, praise the Lord, they keep at it day after day. But let me tell you, there's a reason why pastors lose hair. You know, it's, you know, like when, when they take pictures of a president when they first enter the Oval Office and then their last day and how they've aged, whether it's been four years or eight years, whether they turn one one term or two, and how different they look. Oh, I, It's the you know, same thing with pastors. Like, they just, they take on the weight of the world. And I don't, you know, this is just a, a shout out to all the pastors, especially in the Atlanta area, everywhere. And presidents the world. of the United States. <laughs> Thank you for the service that you do in in your church in your family like how many pastors do we know they're not even able to spend quality time with their family because they're with another family because they're grieving the loss of a loved one or they're going through financial problems or the couple is going through marital counseling or late calls to take them to the airport or um just how many you, times you, la- you laugh, but I actually had about three or four different pastor least, friends. We know at least three or four that have where, had to where take members the expected the pastor to take them to the airport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, you are taking them away from their family, you know, and so it's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that these pastors make to do the work of the Lord, and. I'm sorry, like there's times when I look and I'm like, they don't get paid enough, you know, like not nearly for the amount of work and the amount of hours they put in. And it's, it's sadly a lot of times a thankless job. So when you take a look at the priority level of God, self, family, church, I think the expectation out of a pastor nowadays is the complete reverse. Yes. The pastor seems to be there to serve the church and not necessarily having their spiritual health in mind. It's how can you feed me, not how can we help you. Well, we look at the statistics as to how many pastors are, how many young people are not even going to school, you know, they're they're not even thinking about becoming a pastor because they know what's involved. How many pastors are leaving not just churches but the faith? Okay, some there are Adventist pastors that are not even believing in God anymore. Okay, atheists. There are pastors out there that are going through divorces. Okay, their children have left the church because they've been a PK their whole life, had expectations that were placed upon them, expected to be this perfect little child, and their kids, and kids do kid-like things. They rebel. Kid, Their kids have left the church, not even involved anymore. They want nothing to do with it because their dads were taken away from them. That's how they feel. They feel abandoned because their dad had such a duty to the church. Um, You've got pastors that are addicted to pornography. You know what I mean? Like pastors that are addicted to alcohol 
or illegal drugs out there. It's just, don't tell me that the stress and weight of the world hasn't affected that, you know, and, and it, it's not always the fault of the congregation, but what can we do to alleviate some of that stress that they're going through? What can we do to minister to them? What can we do to support, encourage, and inspire our ministry teams? We can do that by allowing them to have a relationship with God first, to build up their self, spend time with their family, and then serve the church. You know, there's there's lots of people in our congregation that can step up. Lots of people. It's just, are we willing to do it? Are we willing to once in a while sacrifice from our families so that the pastor doesn't always have to sacrifice from his? Because that's what it comes down to. You know, can you sacrifice one night a week to give a Bible study so that he can have one night a week with his family? One additional night or one complete night that he doesn't have to devote to doing other things that he can be with his family. Because you know what? It goes back to what I was saying with the girl that attends our church that has a young child. Her number one ministry is her kid, her child. Don't forget that when pastors have families, that's their ministry too. Please don't forget that. You know, going back to... um, Josh, when you and I were at Wisconsin camp meeting and the Lord gave us an opportunity to help out in the young adult tent and help out Pastor Adam Case. And one of our outreach projects for the week of camp meeting was to go out and pray with people on the campground and in the the city of Westfield. I should call it town. It's not much of a city, but... um, I don't even know if it classifies as a town. It's kind of a (laughs) dot on a map. Yeah. Um, but they, our outreach project was to go out and pray for people on the campground, wherever we saw anyone standing around, mulling around, we were going to, we were supposed to approach them, ask them how they were doing and ask if they had any prayer requests. And Josh, I remember you and I, you felt burdened by the Lord to go to every pastor on the campground and go and pray with them. And go and ask them how they were doing. And we saw Pastor Eugene Kitney. We saw Greg Taylor. Um, we saw Mike Edge. Um, we saw a lot of different pastors and elders in the church. And we prayed with them. And I remember Greg Taylor saying, Wow, no one ever offers or asks if they can pray for me. And that has stuck with me to this day. And I know... I don't do it enough, but today I want to rededicate my life to asking the pastors that we know, can I pray for you? How are you doing? What can I do to help? On a side note, you brought up Pastor Greg Taylor. I've played basketball with that guy. (laughs) He throws cheap shots. Uh, that guy needs prayer. <laughs> I can I can say that because he's a friend. 
But seriously, like, you know, I, like, I even think of Valerie Blyden on Tuesday night, we had our last night, we had our evangelism council meeting. And this is like, I, I want to tell this story, because this is awesome. Valerie Blyden texted me and said, I'm probably not going to make it to the meeting tonight. I'm taking my neighbor to the hospital. One of her family members had um, a very tragic, terrible car accident, and I need to take her to the hospital, and she wants me to stay with her. Um, and I don't want to be late to the meeting, so I'm probably just not even going to come. And she was apologizing, and I was like, Valerie, praise the Lord. Because if we could all be doing the work of the Lord instead of coming to a meeting on Tuesday night at 7 p.m., I would die a very happy person. If I never had to hold and attend another meeting because people were actually out there doing the work of the Lord, we'd never have to have another meeting. It would just be... Are you saying board meeting isn't doing the work of the Lord? <laughs> All I'm saying <laughs> is that if we could be out doing the work of the Lord instead of sitting inside of our churches having meetings, I would be one very happy camper. Amen. Well, we've, we've covered a lot from soccer to priorities to pastors. Oh, on a side note, I know Pastor Jaylee's listening. And he's sweating bullets right now because wondering what I've disagreed with him about. Um, <laughs> I was the only one thinking that. He's he's a uh, we play fantasy sports a lot, and um, so we're both big football fans and uh, and baseball fans. And um, I'm gonna throw him under the bus here. I, I mean. <laughs> The guy's a Patriots fan. I mean, and a Cardinals and fan. And a Cardinals fan. <laughs> now, anybody that watches NFL, it, you either like the Patriots or you don't like the Patriots. Um, I, I can't hate on them too much. I mean, they're a good team, even if they did cheat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you just went there. <laughs> I did. I did. So, so uh, um, you know... I'm a Green Bay Packer fan. Go Pack Go. I, I've been my entire life. So Green and Gold. Which they did beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl 31 many years ago. But um I'm getting nostalgic so, now. Uh, it, well, I am. That was back in the Brett Favre days. And um Big Country. So there, there <laughs> there's there's a little bit of rivalry that goes on between me and Pastors. So that's one thing I disagree with him about. Um, I respect him, though, and I support his decision, even though he's wrong. <laughs> and, and and he's a Cardinals fan. So I grew up a Milwaukee Brewers fan. Uh, God rest their soul. <laughs> um, Saturday Saros. So, <laughs> so I uh, I uh, never been a big a big Seattle fan or uh, St. Louis fan. He grew up there, so it's his hometown. It's team. his hometown. I I can respect mm -hmm. that, but uh, and he lived on the East Coast for a while, so mm -hmm. 
So there you go, Pastor. Those are the things I disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's laughing now. So, well, let's see. We've uh, we've rambled on here for uh, well over an hour. We I'm thought it was sorry. only going to be a, a half hour. We Stop actually, pack. I know we have. To, we're actually driving back to Wisconsin tomorrow um, from Atlanta, which is. Uh, you use the word we. Connie, Connie's driving. <laughs> let's be real. Here. Yeah, let's be real. Connie loves driving, and I don't know. She's a glutton for punishment on that <laughs> one. So we are gonna make our trek back, probably. 13, 14 hours. Well, we'll have the kids with, traffic, with us. With, with and, traffic. You know, Jeremiah loves to do tour day toilet. He has to see like every bathroom from here to Saskatchewan. So it could be a very long, long drive. But uh, that's, that's where we'll be. We'll be stuck in the car. Um, I'll probably be doing church service stuff. <laughs> <laughs> editing at it and then hoping to be able to find wi-fi back uh, in uh our old hometown racine wisconsin but um with that i think it's about time to uh to start wrapping this one up so connie i'm gonna give you the uh, final word this time be nice to your pastor pray with them love them encourage him and uh, go out and do something for the Lord this is Josh and Connie with Project Risecast thanks for listening and uh, we'll catch you when we get back from Wisconsin have a good night <laughs>